Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is where we have conversations with guests about life, loss, grief, and grief dreams, which can be dreams of your loved ones that have passed away. So if you want to know more about the topic, you can definitely check out our website, griefdreams.ca, for more information. And here are four ways you can help support the podcast and help us spread awareness on this amazing topic. So number one, subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform that you listen to it on. Number two, become a member of the podcast, and that's for as low as $1.50 a month. This helps us run the podcast, and you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. Number three, you can take the Grief Dreams online course by Dr. Joshua Black at griefdreams.ca. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Facebook at Grief Dreams. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. This is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. On today's episode, we have with us Zachary Steele. And he has been featured by NPR, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, Publishers Weekly, Baby Got Books, Shelf Awareness, Writer Magazine, and was nominated for the Sidewise Award for Alternate Fiction. The Weight of Ashes is his third novel, and currently he is hard at work on his first book in his upcoming fantasy series, The Fallen Hero, for release in 2022. You can follow his ramblings on writing and life at ZacharySteel.com. Zachary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the invite. What was interesting about your newest book, which I'm kind of excited to talk about, which is The Weight of Ashes, is most people who come on here and want to like talk about their book is more of a fictional or nonfiction. We're just talking about their journey, how you can help the bereaved in some way. But yours is a fictional book. And I think that's really interesting because that can also help many people based on how it's written. And so I just want to like maybe talk about why you, how you got into writing first and we'll talk about that book next. So like what brought you into writing? That We have to go all the way back to my childhood for that one. When, when I was very, very young, I was an avid reader. And uh, I always cite stories like Charlotte's Web and Tales of the Fourth Grade Nothing as, as stories that captivated me to the point that I, I lived in those worlds. And obviously in my mind, it would be quite a story otherwise, but it really taught me a lot about storytelling and gave me a, a desire to, to want to learn that. So even as a young child, I remember at, at 12 writing stories that were, you know, <laughs> they were stories that represented being 12, but I just loved it so much. I just never wanted to stop. So there's really, we, we all have multiple passions or loves through life, but there's, there's always been that one and it's always been writing. I think that's interesting how you said like you used to read a lot and that turned into writing. And I remember as a kid, I didn't read at all. I played a lot of sports. And so writing, I look back, I'm like, I never really wrote anything. And so I think that probably goes hand in hand, right? It does. I will, I will echo that I was very much a sports-oriented kid, and that very first story I wrote was about, you know, being a baseball player going to a championship game. So for me, those worlds kind of merged. I was a very solitary kid and uh, awkward and shy and didn't have much in the way of friends or a social life. So I had plenty of time to read and play sports. And so what got you a point where you said, you know what, I'm going to actually do a book or write, write as a career? Is that did you go to school to perfect your writing style? What happened there? 
I actually the first the first really terrible book that I wrote I was in high school and and I still have it and will never see the light of day and you know, nobody will read a word of it but I I just just through my teen years I just I wanted to keep doing it I wanted to and and I started writing short stories I got into the short stories of Stephen King and Edgar Allan Poe and was really much on a, on a horror kick for a while and I thought short stories that's what I want to do but the more I wrote them the more I wanted to write for them and it just developed into this desire to write a full manuscript and I don't know, once I did it, uh, I loved it so much that I wanted to keep doing it. So I started college with the idea of, you know, taking a creative writing track and getting that, that master's in creative writing, like so many, so many writers that I knew had done. But I, I, I actually found that going to college hampered my education. So I, I, I stopped and started learning things on my own and traveling and seeing the world. And, you know, I had this quest to, to this thirst to always want to learn and, and to try to be the best at something that I could be. So I don't know, I, I just absorbed books on writing and, and read other writers uh, to get, you know, some tips and then started going to conferences and writing shows and things like that to, to learn more. So for me, it's always been an individual quest to, to become a great writer. I think that's interesting how said you, you went towards school, but then you realized just it wasn't what you needed to fulfill your passions. And I think it's always interesting when people follow their heart because it does lead you in some unpredictable places that a lot of people would say you're doing the wrong thing. But I think there's something about living in life where you don't really get in school, but you said traveling, reading other, having more time to read other books. And could you just talk a little bit about that process a little bit more and like the benefit that happened to you by traveling and experiencing the world on your writing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've always been of the belief that we we actually pollute our life with m- much more of the individual thought and and um, you know fears and and doubts and you know warning signs that have been planted there. But if we would just stop and listen a little bit more and observe a little bit more, we would see the path before us. So for me, it's always been like that, and and that's why when I felt that com- compulsion to go find life on my own to go educate myself on my own that I just, I did it, you know, kind of a leaping off the cliff sort of thing. And I'll figure out what to do about halfway down. But, uh, but no, I mean, being able to, to travel around the country and to see some, some ports outside of the country, it expanded my, my understanding of, of the world and, and of the people in it, because I very much grew up in, in the South and, and short of a couple of years had had never lived anywhere else and so being able to to leave that and to go across the country and back over and and like I said going into Mexico and other ports of call I, I was able to see life from a different point of view and as a writer I certainly come to understand that the one of the greatest things that a writer can do in a story is is take a reader through other points of view whether that be um, philosophical or social or cultural, it doesn't really matter. And, and I really began to, to develop that understanding that process. I think it's beautifully said, because I know for me, I haven't traveled a lot. And that's one of the things that I feel like I'm lacking, like I want to learn more about different cultures. But the podcast is giving me at least a sense of understanding people's different perspectives, even when it comes to grief, but even just like their their viewpoints on life. And I really enjoy that. And I enjoy it more than I think most people 
I think probably know. And this is why I think the podcast is going on for so long is that, you know, like me and Sean, we're just always learning from people and even people like neighbors and stuff, like just talking to people, you realize everyone has a certain perspective on the world and how that changes their ideas, what their passions are their and, and really what they dream too. So for me, it's just like, yeah, like talking to people, if you can't travel, you can always talk to people around you and just go in depth on, you know, different like subjects and serious subjects that people have went through because you'll realize how different their process is in dealing with something. Like when it comes to just the topic of grief, there's just like so many different ways people cope and handle, you know, how they, the circumstances and how that event even happened and what age they were and everything like that, which I think is just fascinating because my loss was in a certain time with a certain relationship with my father. And it's like, I don't know what happened, what would have been like, you know, if he died of cancer, what would have happened if he died earlier or later, or if it was, or it was my best friend that died. A lot of things I just, I've never experienced, but other people have in their own way. And for me, it gives me such a, a rich set of, I guess, examples in my own mind to be able to be able to sit with people and help people normalize losses in general and, and what they go through. And so like, I see like, that's like how I like sort of look at at the podcast and the grief stuff. And it's kind of interesting how you wrote on grief. And I think, you know, this is sort of, you know, one of the really exciting things for me is you wrote on <laughs> a fictional book on like sort of the topic of grief. And I just want to sort of mention, I started thinking about when I, all the different movies, cause I'm a big movie buff, right? And it's a lot of them are based on books. <laughs> and I always think about how many times someone's death in the story is such an important part of the plot on how someone goes somewhere or somewhere else. Like John Wick, perfect example. <laughs> you know, the dog mm-hmm. dies, he's out for revenge, you know? <laughs> They've made three books. Right. And then you see even superheroes, a lot of it's based on grief, like Spider-Man, Batman. And so, you know, what is it about, I guess, do you see that a lot too on people using a death as a way to, I guess, maybe humanize a person, but connect with the audience? Yeah, and that last point is, is honestly, I think the most important part about connecting you know, it, it, grief is one of those things that we as human beings share in common. You know, I, I, I have sometimes said that I feel like it's the only thing we share in common, but I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. But, um, you know, we all experience grief. We all experience loss. Even if that's not a death, we all experience it. And a reason it becomes such a common thing, you know, such a common thread through stories is that you know, when you're when you're telling a story, the the thing that you need to do is get your your audience, whether it is viewers or whether it is readers, to actually connect emotionally to your characters and to your story. And the the way to do that is to find those shared experiences and really really focus on them. So you you go to the John Wick story with the dog, and you know there there wasn't anybody watching that that didn't understand what he was feeling or didn't understand why he was motivated to, to act the way he did afterwards. You don't have to explain it any more than, you know, digging into the character's feelings and, and, and you will have your, your readers or viewers connected to them. So, I mean, connectivity, emotional connectivity is vital in any art, whether it's film or book or sculpture or painting or even music, you know, the, the, some of my favorite music is the music that I can emotionally connect to. I think too, when I look at the stories, there's always right before the death is mentioned, or even like John Wick's wife, there's always a little prelude of 
of love, right? Or why they're so bonded together to, I think, draw the audience in when the death happens. Do you see like that as an important part is, is talking about the love and the bond prior to the death happening? I think you can go one of two ways. I mean, you know, generally speaking, you, you have a story where the, the relationships are, are built through the story and then you experience the loss and the weight of ashes um, actually begin with the loss and then through a few flashbacks because uh, the story is about a young boy who loses his older brother and then he's just he's trying to cope with that and, and takes extraordinary measures to try to, to bring his brother back. And, um, and in order to do it, you know, I had to start with the death and then I had to work sort of backwards so that the reader could understand the emotional connection he had to his brother and understand why he was making the choices that he was making and why he was going to the lengths that he was going to. So I think there's definitely room to be able to sort of retroactively build in that connection but it has to be done otherwise you know why why would we care about the characters and their loss no it's so true i I kind of i think that's really interesting he did it through flashbacks and so we can let's talk about the book some more so what got you to want to write this book now the interesting thing about that is that this isn't the kind of book that i i ever thought i would write i've always been very much the the sort of fringe fantasy fantasy kind of uh storyteller because you know, I mean, life is hard enough as it is. We've, we live these kind of things on a daily basis and I'd rather be able to, to write about other worlds and other like magic and dragons and things like that, because um, it, 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 it is an escape for me. But I, uh, I actually wrote the first page and a half of this, um, which is almost identical to what it is now. And it was about this, this car accident. And it was, it was sort of loosely based on one that I had been in as well. And um, I wrote it, and, and it, it struck me, and several other people, publisher reps and agents as well. And so I ended up sitting on it for a year before I ever started writing the actual story. And and I found it I found it to be the, the most emotionally difficult thing that I had ever written. So there was definitely there was never a time where I sat down and thought I need to write this challenging, terrible story. Um, but once I started writing it, I, I couldn't stop. It was like it, it needed to be told. Wow. That's so interesting. A lot of questions, but I think it would be a good time. Like, so what is the book about for just the listeners? Yeah. My, my pitch on that is easy. It's, uh, a young boy loses his older brother and he's unwilling to accept the loss. So he enlists the help of his friends to carry his brother's ashes to the, the witch on Spook Hill to have him resurrected. And the story is about grief and loss and the myriad ways in which people process it. I want to ask, does he get resurrected? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> no, that's the thing. And, and, and this story is told through the lens of a 13-year-old boy. So, you know, you, you see the world and, and, and reality and possibility through his lens. Um, and, you know, the one of the things that I wanted to build in the story was that question as you go along. You know, his friends have it. He doesn't seem to. He's very certain about this. Um, and and I want the reader to, to question along with him, you know, and his friends. Like, what, what are we going to find when we get there? Is this a real thing or, or what? I'm curious with the character being a teenager, is a book meant for, like, teens and, and children more than adults? Originally, originally, I wanted to write it as a young adult novel, 
And, and I thought, you know, using teen characters would certainly would certainly allow that. It just felt like a young adult story. But but as I as I I had written it and finished it, and once I I had a publisher for it through the editing process, they very quickly said, no, this is this is adult. You know, there mm-hmm. it it's definitely teens can and I would think even even to some degree should read it because you know they have that that shared experience of being a teen probably going through a loss and things like that but but it is being published as um, fiction okay interesting because I always thought like just when you said like oh like from a teenager's perspective I can't fully recall I'm like almost what am I 37 now <laughs> like to think of what I thought of the world back then I, I can't even imagine and so was it difficult for you to like put yourself back in teenage shoes teenager shoes or was that something you had fond memories of I wouldn't say that I had fond memories of my childhood no um you know I, re- I remember a lot about the sort of innocence and and and, and smallness of my perspective and in this particular book, I, I actually wrote, takes place in the year 1989. So I am not 37. I'm a little more than that. So I remember, you know, what life was like then as a kid. So I was able to draw on pop culture and stuff like that. But in terms of like the, the language and the interactions between the kids, I take a lot of that from loosely from memory, but also from just watching kids nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. observing, you know. Um, and, and of course reading as well, but I, what I tried to remember the most about writing from a teenage perspective was just how, how small my understanding was about life and the fragile nature of it and, and the sort of enormity of an event, whatever it happens to be, you know, whether it's, you know, you've got punched at school or, you know, whether you've lost somebody or whatever, whatever happens to be the enormity of that moment. And how you feel like, you know, like life can never be good again, sort of thing. We were always kind of trapped in that perspective as kids. I can see you going, like dressing up as a teen and going back to high school, <laughs> like 21 Jump Street, just to get some uh, insights into how teens think these days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would have gone well for anybody. <laughs> it would have been a comical thing to see that. <laughs> Uh, that's wild. So this, so this guy named, so the main character is named Mark, right? Mark Correct. Murphy. Yeah. Mark and Murphy, so, yeah. yeah, Mark Murphy. And so I'm curious, like when you, when you decide on names for stories, are they meaningful to you in any way? Or is it just something that sounds nice? Like, I'm just curious about that because it's a main character. So you think it had, you'd think it would have some type of significance in your life. There's, um, Two things that I, I, I always overthink. One is character names and the other is titles. So so any any character names or titles that are used, I have thought excessively about, you know, like, for example, The Weight of Ashes is, is a play because, you know, he, he's carrying this enormous emotional weight of losing his brother, but he's also carrying his brother in his ashes to this witch. So the names, yes, the last name, Murphy, as I, I was a baseball and still am a baseball fan, grew up a, an Atlanta Braves fan, and my favorite player was Dale Murphy. And so I liked, I wanted the kids to have nicknames for one another, and his was Murph. And I wanted to have his older brother be that kind of older brother that likes to play pranks as well. So, you know, their father was out of the picture when they were very, very young. Mark doesn't even remember him. So his brother always told him that 
you know, their father was Dale Murphy. And so that's why, that's why I chose Murphy. The Mark part of it, his brother's name is Mitch and his mother's name is Morgan. So I wanted to have this consistent M&M thing going through it because some families will do that. They'll, they'll like, well, you know, my initials are M&M, so I want my, my kids to be M&Ms. So that's where those names came from. And then, and then there's a character named Gordon who was, I had a, a friend named Gordon that I, I, I named him after. Yeah, this is actually a great opportunity and a great time to talk about your friend, Gordon. He was a very important person in your life. Can you talk more about that? Sure, yeah. Um, as I said, I, I was a, a solitary kid. I had spent a lot of time in books and in, in my bedroom, and the only socializing I did was when I was playing sports. However, I did, I did make one friend, <laughs> one friend in that small town in Florida that I grew up in, or at least went to through ninth grade, and his name was Gordon. And you know, I met him playing baseball, but then after that, he, he didn't play anymore, and we were just friends and hung out, and I'd go stay with him, and he was, he was a lot of trouble, <laughs> and I was a good kid, a rule follower, and it was my first real experience with being someone that um, would, would go outside the rules, and so kind of went with him on a lot of these things and, and had experiences I would have not, never had otherwise, but you know, through it all, we, we really formed a very, very close bond. And so, it, you know, it continued on, even though I had had moved away after ninth grade, you know, we stayed in contact I mean, before cell phones and everything. So we were writing letters and I'd come visit him when, when I was in town and things like that. But when I was 17 and he's a year older than me, when I was 17, he committed suicide. And it hit me obviously extremely hard. And, uh, you know, for for a very, very long time, I was. I was very mad at him. I think I got stuck in that step for a very, very long time until I got into my early adulthood and began to kind of let it go. And I honestly thought, you know, when I started writing this, I, I, I wanted to honor that friendship by naming this character Gordon, and, and the character is a lot of trouble, um, probably way more trouble than my Gordon was. But a very interesting thing happened as I was writing this story as I began to realize that I still had unresolved grief that I had not finished processing. And walking through this character's shoes and, and on his very self-destructive path, I really began to, that sense of empathy that, you know, back to the emotional connectivity thing, you know, you, you want to be able to see the world through other people's eyes, especially as a writer, I have to be able to see the world through other people's eyes. And I think doing this with this character really changed the way I had viewed that event with him as a kid. And, and I really began to finally heal wounds that I didn't know 30 years later still existed. Uh, so it was a very um, eye-opening and cathartic process for me. Wow. It's so interesting. And I think that's, that's the, the, the human mind, right? Will will trick us in many ways to think that we're over it, quote unquote, or you know, it's it's all good. And then you have these events, these moments where you're like, wait a second, no, like there's still stuff underneath there I just couldn't see. And you just need these triggers or these moments in time to allow you to work through it. And that's why people always say grief is like an endless journey because we're always learning more about ourselves and more about you know what we hold inside as time moves forward, and I think it's interesting. Just writing the story really brought a lot, a lot of that up. And so, could you just go through maybe what some of the you said you had anger was one of your biggest issues, and 
how you work through that as a kid and was there anyone that really helped support you and then i guess now writing the book what was it that you're able to work through a little bit more yeah i mean I, as a kid I, and really this kind of tra- transferred into my adulthood i i think that whole solitary life left me sort of internalizing a lot and and you know, being able to talk to people about things or ask for help or, or anything like that, it was always a very, very difficult challenge and something I still, still battle with. Um, so I would say I processed the whole Gordon thing on my own. And it may very well be that that's why I got stuck because I, I didn't have, I did not have the experience or the understanding of how to do it. I didn't have that person that would, would lay the truth out there for me about, you know, death and grief and, and, I feel like it, it just, it, and, and maybe this is the way it is for most people is it just, it was very easy to get stuck in the anger and to want to blame him for, you know, leaving me and other people, his family with, with this, this terrible, terrible feeling when maybe we could have helped sort of thing. Um, as far as how, you know, this helped me with writing the book helped me actually process that. I think I, I just really just come back to it. It, it helped me to see what a, what a person that was on that trajectory was, what their motivations were and, and how quickly things can happen and, and how you, you may not even be planning it, but there's just that, there's this moment where you feel like all is lost and it's the best option kind of thing. And, and I began to see that, you know, perhaps, I obviously never know this answer, that perhaps it wasn't something that anybody could have helped. It wasn't something that anybody could have prevented because it was just something that may have happened in that moment. And and I think, again, whether that's the truth or not with him, I think that was enough for me to be able to really come to peace with with the choice that he made and, and, and with the fact that, you know, I didn't get to grow up with him as adults and see what he would become, you know, just as he would see what I would become. You know, we didn't get those shared adulthood experiences as childhood friends. Uh, I was able to kind of let go of all these things I didn't even realize I was holding on to because I never really stopped to try to see the world through his point of view. And and I think it, it, it brought a lot of sadness and then uh, an incredible peace. I'm so, man, I'm so happy that you're able to to be able to use your own work, to be able to, to help yourself, to, to, to work through some of that, because, you know, that would have been, you wouldn't care talk about weight of ashes. That would <laughs> like the weight of, uh, of all that would have been with you that your whole life. And it would have changed your mood in many different ways without you even realizing. And to have this moment where you can just, you said like, you can be at peace with it and have compassion for the, what happened. I, I love that. And I love hearing you found your way. Like even, so the, it's, this is the funny thing. Some people do reach out and, and they have an easy time. That's just part of who they are. But people who are like more isolated and they, they do that, as you're saying, well, you're not going to ask for help. So how do you figure, find your way? Like the body and I think people will find a way sooner or later. Just like, what is it that connects? And it's amazing how you writing this story really brought that to light and you're able to work with it in a new in a new way based on maturing and new life experiences that that you've been through and also for you to say like it was your your main friend like i think a lot of people take for granted like a lot of people have you know can have many friends but like 
when you're limited to to one, like that provides you, I would think, like I know like when I was growing up, I'd, you know, there's I didn't have a lot of friends. So like I can look back on those moments myself and say, like, I remember them so significant in my life because they helped me feel loved in many ways or feel supported and not like an outcast. And so did did that, you know, when I when you look back at like your childhood and that friendship, what like what's the positiveness of having that friend in your life? Like, did it feel just less lonely and more, I guess you feel more loved? Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely that element of it. Um, I, I think what, what I've always appreciated out of that friendship that I had with him is that he was so unlike me and that, you know, I was able to see that you, one, you can have a friendship with somebody who your belief systems may not align, whether that's, ethically morality morality philosophically religiously whatever it is and and then we were able to forge this really really solid strong friendship despite the fact that we were we were two very very different people and then i i've always been i've always had a great amount of gratitude for even though it towed <laughs> towed the line of right and wrong often you know the 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 adventures that i had with him because he was more willing to take risks and more willing to go off seeking fun. Never did any harm to anybody, so it wasn't anything like that. But it, it gave me a piece of childhood that I wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, the one where you're out and, and being adventurous and, you know, having these experiences that, that help define you going forward. You know, I was able to experience things that I, I wouldn't have if I had just been comfortable with i'd found a friend who was just like me and we shared all the same things and the same conservative kind of uh, risk-free approach to childhood you know it, it was it was an experience that i'm grateful that i had you're right like it, it was kind of like traveling it opened your mind to new ideas and to get you outside your box to be able to see the world in a different way I think it's beautiful. I have you know friends like that too to this day, and I, I love them for it because I'm still learning about the world, and I have my own box that I feel safe and and I do certain things, but you know may not do some other things. But they'll bring me out to try new things, even like food. I wouldn't have you know. I remember growing up, just an example. I remember growing up, and all I ate was like fries and burgers, and then I had this individual who brought me to a Vietnamese place. And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> like this isn't this is burgers and sausages. Like, what is this? And I was so like, I would never have chosen it myself. But she said, No, try it. Like, it's safe. Like, like, there's other foods available to you. And then when I went in there and tried some of the food, I couldn't believe it. Like, my taste buds were going going wild. And I haven't looked back. And I'm trying new foods still to this day. But it was that moment. And it's funny how these little small moments really allow yourself to break some of the fear, I guess, or break some of the mm-hmm. the boxes we put ourselves in to say, wait a second, like it was safe and, and it's better than the other food I was having. Like, <laughs> like why was I? And then you're like, wait, then you start rethinking about your own thoughts. And that's sort of self-reflection is one of the big things for me. So I sit back and I, I think like, wow, like how did that get in there? Like, why was I so afraid? And then I sort of utilize that for a lot of other things moving forward. So I'm just really happy. I said, like, not only you had the friend, but you said the friend that really pushed you to see the world differently and to try new experiences, to face said uh, different fears or different boxes you put yourself in to say, no, like the world's bigger. You can do this. And it's great when you don't get caught. <laughs> when I, don't, I don't know whatever you're doing. You're kind of vague. But <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it was it wasn't anything serious. I'm talking like, you know, going out and, and, and messing with uh signage to, to say what we wanted it to say and, and you know, sneaking around neighborhoods and just being nose not like peeking in the windows, just being nosy into people's lives and going out and, and exploring woods, you know, which for me was not that I was opposed to being out, out in the woods or anything, but you know, here we are out without adults and no plan and we don't know where we're going kind of thing. You know, it pushed the boundaries of what I was comfortable with. And, you know, it goes back to like your experience with Vietnamese food is the same thing. You know, so much change that we endure is forced change because we're comfortable where we are. And most people aren't going to step out of that comfort zone, those those routines, that familiarity, because we, we know what to expect there. And, you know, he pushed me outside of that comfort zone and I found out that it was okay. And looking back at your character, Mark, I think grief also is one of those forced changes upon us uh, when someone dies. It really can shatter us and put us in a new direction. That's what it did for me. I was, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher and then my dad died and now I wanted to help the bereaved. And so I researched it, researched the topic, and then we, you know, started a podcast. It's like an Instagram account. You see the world just completely changes. And so for the main character, Mark, what did the forced change of grief maybe bring him to his life? Well, I mean, ultimately it's 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 the journey that it brings him, you know, the friendships that he has and and what this this whole journey of the book does with those friendships. It forces him to face a world and that's what the whole that's why he's on this journey is he's forcing him to face a world without his brother in it and his brother was his rock his brother was his father figure his brother was the the you know you see it through the series of flashbacks his brother was the the one that was teaching him and he suddenly didn't have him now all he had was an empty bed he had a a, a the tape deck that had his brother's tape in it that, you know, he would play because it was the only thing that he had to remind him of it. And, you know, it, it is, it is the, the, the forced change here that makes him decide I have to, I have to reset my world. I need my brother back because I can't function without him. Does Mark ever have a dream uh, in the, in the book? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't do any kind of dream sequences in it. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to live, whether it's in the past or not. I wanted to live. I wanted him, his story to be like present in reality. And the thought did occur to me that I could do some of these things through, through some dream sequences and stuff like that. But <laughs> there, there are a lot of people in the publishing industry who will frown at the idea of dream sequences. Really, eh? I'd like to talk to those people. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It can be it can be very useful. I think the problem is not so much the dream sequence. It's that yeah. you have to handle it very carefully in terms of writing. And it has to be very, very important to the plot and to the story itself. And, and, and a lot of writers will use them sort of loosey-goosey as a, a means to get information across rather than making it important. Yeah, it's interesting with a lot of these dreams of the deceased, you see them in so many movies and I'm guessing they're in different books too, but so like I'm a movie buff and yeah, you, you see them sometimes utilized really well in helping connect the, the, the character and the individual a little bit more help with the plot in some way. Other times you just, they just have it and they don't really 
it's just almost there. And I'm like, I'm, and I'm like, I wonder, you know, like what, what was the meaning of that? <laughs> like what, mm-hmm. what was going on with that sequence? Cause you probably didn't need it to explore the rest, but yeah, I think it's based in part with a lot of people having dreams of the deceased as part of the grieving process and how right. it can really either really cause a lot of distress. So there's a lot of nightmares or flashbacks people have of the death. There's also a lot of beauty that can come of it that helps people cope and move forward. And so they try to incorporate in their own way, I think, to just give credit to some of the dreams that they had that were very helpful uh, as you move forward. So I'm, I'm curious, have you ever had a, a dream of your friend after he died? No, I, I, I you know, never did about him. And, and you know, the interesting thing of this process was halfway through writing this book, um, I, I, I lost my, my cat, my, my companion of 13 years. And I would say that always been like a furry human to me. And she died of cancer and it was like halfway through this book. And that was, like it just completely stopped the writing process. And when I finally was able to get back to it, when I was actually able to emotionally write the story without losing it, you know, it changed the, the tone of the story. And I, I did have some dreams during this period of time where my cat Maggie was there. She wasn't like an active participant in my dreams. And, and, and another point to, to say here is I don't tend to remember my dreams very, very often. But she was present in a number of these dreams as I was writing and always just there, you know, an observer in, in the dream kind of thing. So I, I really didn't think anything of it until well after writing this. And I was like, I wonder, you know, was that was that like her her spirit, her consciousness kind of letting me know she was there and observing me through this process. That's, that's what I, that brings me, you know, warms my heart a little bit to think, think of it in that sense. So um, yeah, that would, that would be the, the, the most profound time I ever really had anything close to that. That's well, I'm really sad to hear about the, the death of your cat, you know, like it, we, you know, we, we tend to put down pet loss. It's disenfranchised in many ways, but hold like said like that relationship it's so dear to so many people and it can when you're even writing and even bring up your old loss i would think that maggie would have helped you cope in many ways with the loss that you were suffering from before Mm -hmm. just because we there's this bond and this love and they support us through our challenging times and then you add that and it can just trigger and open the wound i guess even more so and so yep. the things we used to use to cope and to help us aren't there readily. And so now you're writing a book on grief alone, <laughs> like even more mm-hmm. on your own. It's almost like you said, like, it's almost like Mark in, in your book in a way where that rock is now gone and you're trying to live mm-hmm. a life without the, a significant part of you know, who helped you cope. And so yeah. I think it's interesting that you had that dream and, and I'm glad that it wasn't a negative dream you're just like there looking or watching mm-hmm. what would she normally do when you're writing like where, where, where would she be would oh, she, just she, watch she was always she was always nearby i'm sorry <laughs> she was always nearby yeah i mean if, if i was writing she would be curled up at my feet or on the bed nearby the desk or, or something she was i mean you know we were always i had that that relationship with her that that you know, she was never an affectionate kind of, I'm going to sit in your lap kind of thing, but I'm always going to be close to you kind of thing. So 
I like one of the last pictures I had of her was I was sitting on my patio and there she is laying on the the wood like at my feet with my laptop there and like the picture is actually partly of her laying there and partly of the screen that I had that I was working on and so you know she was always there so yeah that the absence was notable when I went back to actually start writing again. Do you recall the chapters that uh, you wrote after her death? Like, do you, do you notice the change in, in the style or, uh, I guess, tone? The style, no. Um, I had reached the midpoint of the book, so I was like roughly halfway through. And it's, it's very interesting because the second half of this book is the, I mean, not, not that there isn't emotional challenge beforehand, but this is this is where, you know, the the story evolves and the character is deep in it. And so therefore with this one, the emotional weight of the story is intense. And I think it 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 was made more so because I had such a raw wound that I was infusing into Mark's journey. And, you know, there are a few moments in there that I I, I wrote that that Mark went through that I'm, I'm, I'm not confident I could have hit as well if I wasn't going through it myself right then. And, you know, it's, it's writing in so many ways is, is like therapy. You know, you, especially in a story like this, you know, you're going and you're, you're just burying your soul in hoping that there's healing at the end of it. And, because of what I went through with that, I feel like it it made the end of the story so much more emotionally powerful. Wow, yeah, that's um, obviously a super challenge uh, that you had to go through and uh, to write through that. But also, it's it's good to hear that it was uh, therapeutic in some way. Do you have a, a, a do you have memories of where you were when you were writing a certain piece that I guess maybe left a lasting impression or maybe really stuck out to you? Like, do you have those moments where you're like, oh yeah, chapter nine, I was uh, having lunch and uh, looking at uh, the birds outside or something? I mean, I, I don't have, I don't have specific moments like that, um, largely because my routine was so much the same every single time I wrote. Um, I knew like the time block that I was going to write and, and that's when, because I obviously have other work I have to do. So I, I was doing the same thing every day with it. Like for me, it's just the thing that I, I remember is where I was in the story when Maggie died and you know, where I started writing again. And, and, you know, it, it's notable to me, but then again, that's because I'm tying a memory to it. But as far as I, there was probably one scene that closes out the book where I can, I can remember exactly where I was, but I think that had as much to do with the fact that I was in that final chapter, in that final scene, and much easier to remember that for me. Wow. And there's just so much I didn't know. So just by talking about the process of writing the book, you just get a huge perspective on what people go through that a lot of people just don't know when these projects come out. It's, uh, it's a lot. And there's, just, there's a lot to talk about. You went through a lot to get this out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're really proud of how it turned out. I'm incredibly proud of it. And, and I always preface that by 
the, you know, what I was going to say, I always preface this by saying, I'm not one to boast about my work because, you know, I, I, I always feel that's a part of me that always wants to learn. I always want to be better. So whatever, wherever I'm at, I feel like I can be better than I was, but I'm insanely proud of this, not just because the writing is so really strong, but characters are, are memorable and, and going through things themselves and the journey itself, you know, I, I've written things, the books I'd published before were somewhat satirical and the, like you, had, you know, the, the book that I'm going to be working on, the series that I'm be working on is straight up fantasy, but there's something about this that is, is very much uh, approachable for anybody. And, you know, I, I, I felt like I had my own healing journey in writing it, but that this could be something that helps other people. You know, we, you were talking before about nonfiction and the differences between that and fiction, but this is a novel, but at the same time, I feel like it can, it can offer that, that sort of self-help approach to processing grief because you're, you're living through the journey and through the stages with character. And whether you're, you're pulling for him to resurrect his brother or hoping that the, the reality, if it's not going to happen, won't crush him kind of thing, you know, you're, you're in on that journey and, and sharing your own experiences with the character, you know, remembering what you've been through and maybe, maybe it will help people. And I'm, I'm hoping even younger people process a loss and the grief that they're experiencing. If, if, if that can come out of this, then I will feel, you know, even better about what the book represents to me. I think it, it will. Like, why, why wouldn't it? Just with the conversation that you've, you've had here and, and what you've been through that would have showcased within the, the words you wrote. And we all need unique ways of, of working through our, our grief and movies like, like, for, like mo- there's a lot of movies that make me cry and make me remind me of my dad and, and help me through different thinking of different things in life. And then there's people who like to, who love to read, who would definitely find wisdom within that and to look at their own life in a new way and their own loss. So I'm, I'm guessing if you haven't already that you'll, you'll find that people will reach out and let you know. But I think that's a weird thing about being an author, being, you know, someone where your work, you're not seeing the individual read your work because you never fully know the impact it truly has on someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And that's, <laughs> that's both the um, heartening thing about this and the frightening thing about this is, is just that, you know, I, I short of people who will, will put reviews or send messages or things like that, it's um it's it's a hope for me that it will have a positive it will be a positive experience overall but it will have a positive impact on on the people reading it and and i don't really get to know that answer unless people tell me so if you read his book and you're listening to this podcast <laughs> please let him know <laughs> please yes share your i would love to hear it i look i mean there's 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 not a to, I don't know. I mean, maybe there is. There, there are not likely to be many writers in this world that won't want to hear somebody's thoughts on their book. Obviously, we always want those thoughts to be positive, but you know, we spend this is this is a, such a solitary thing. You know, you you spend all this time working on this book. It's a world that's lived in your head and characters that have lived in your head, and suddenly that's it's in a package and it's released into the world and you know it's it's your your children have been set free and and you're hoping you hear from them you're hoping you're you're hearing positive things about what they're doing 
And um, so, yeah, if you, I, I would love to hear from people who have read this book, but if, if you've read a book that has affected you positively, but find the author that I promise you, they're not hard to find anymore on social media or anything, find them and let them know, because that's what, that's what helps push us forward. That's what helps. We all have these stories, but we want them to, to be received well and to have positive impact on people. And it's, it's great. It's great to hear those stories. All right. So one of our final questions that we like to ask on the podcast is about dreams. So if you could have a dream tonight of your friend who has died, what would that dream look like? I would pick the one with Gordon. And I think for the longest time, my answer would have been, I would want the dream to be a conversation with him about his choice. But I don't feel like I need to know that anymore. And so I would like to just have a dream about Gordon where we were just being kids. So getting into some trouble. So what kind of trouble you want to get into in your dream? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I talk about the trouble part of it, but you know what I remember more than anything else is in, in a trigger song. So like we would listen to music. And so like every time I hear Congo by Miami Sound Machine, for example, that triggers it. But we would play on the Commodore 64. We would just play games. And one of them was like Ultima 3, I think, which this may mean nothing to anybody, but that's okay. <laughs> and we would play this game. It was a fantasy-based game and hours and hours and hours of playing it until we could finish it and listening to music. And, and that, that's actually what I want to remember. You know, that's what, that's the, the friendship, the part of that friendship that I want to live as much as I possibly can and would, would love just having a, a sort of dream where we were just having casual conversation like we used to while playing a game. I like that. And would it be like one of those old time games or would it be something new like on the PS5? No, nah, I would be an old time game. Okay. I, think I, <laughs> I think I would, I would want to, I would want to have that just, even if it was just a one, one more moment where I got to relive that experience with him because it was such an important thing for me because I would have been completely alone without anything without him. And um, I would love to be able to experience that one more time. That's beautiful. And I really hope you have a dream like that tonight. And if you do, please let us know. We always love to hear these experiences that people have. And because this is such a unique podcast, because you're the first one to be on here that has a fictional book, what would Mark dream if he could <laughs> tonight mark would probably would probably dream about encountering his brother they would probably be on a baseball field because that's one of the sequences and he would be talking to his brother about how to go on about how to help his mother kind of thing but that was that i think i think it would definitely be for him an educational moment a, a sort of closure kind of here's here's what you need to know and here's how you need to do it. I like that. No, it's a good dream. I, and it's funny because you brought the baseball up. We had someone on the podcast who used to play baseball with his father and his father died. And so he would have dreams mm -hmm. of playing baseball with them, which I think is interesting. It's the things that connect yeah. us, right? Yeah, that's cool. All right. Well, I, I had a, a great time chatting with you and talking with you and learning about your story on you know what you, how you got into writing and then also how you processed your loss and how writing was such an important part and i think for me that's you know writing has never really been that thing that has really helped me but it's amazing that it's helped you and for those people who are searching for you know how to process your loss you know try writing and i think that's one of those things that 
as you said, can help significantly based on who you are. And if you like to read, <laughs> if you don't like to read, I don't know, you might want to make a movie or something. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I mean, the, yeah. I, I agree with the writing part of it because if, if you just stream of consciousness, just let it out. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be good. Just yeah. let it out, write it. And, and it will, it will amaze you how much comes out that you didn't know was in there. Mm, I like that. You don't need to publish it, but just write, write mm-hmm. it and see what happens. Yeah. I like that. Oh, that's good. And so uh, where can people find your, your new book? Anywhere the books are sold. So, I mean, if you are an Amazon person, it's available on Amazon. If you want to go into a Barnes and Noble, you can, I mean, if they, if they have it in stock, great. Otherwise they can order it. I always, always recommend people go to their local independent bookstores because these are pillars of the community and good, hardworking, book-loving folks who slave day in and day out trying to cultivate this great list of books and, and, and share them with communities. And you're also a part of your founder in an association for writing. What's that? And just tell a bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Broadleaf Writers Association, and and I, I founded it and I run it. It's um, six years old, and it is uh, an idea that I carried with me for a long time because I I always wanted to have a writing community that could be a part of, and and this is a community of writers helping writers, you know, not just pursue your dreams to be published, but but to learn this craft of writing because it can so help you in your life, whether it's professionally or personally. And so Broadleaf Writers Association, which is, you can find broadleafwriters.com. And uh, we do programs throughout the year. We have an annual conference that, you know, someday when the pandemic goes away, we'll be able to do in person again. And, and again, we're, we're trying to, to build this, this writing community. Uh, the great thing about the world that we live in is you don't have to live in the, the state of Georgia where it's founded. You can live anywhere and still be an active part of that writing community and be a part of conversations and programs and get to know other writers and find mentors and, and critique groups and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's, um, it's a very, I guess I keep coming back to this word probably because it's what my childhood was, but it's a very solitary process and, and you can be very, very alone in the whole thing. And it's so very important to find your people as a writer. Well, in anything that you do, but, but in this context, as a writer, it's so important to find your people and, and to, be a part of that group and to help people as much as you need help. And, and I, I feel like we're, we're making good progress with it. And, and I, I hope that it continues to grow and, and we get more writers joining in. That's great. And then you also have a website you want to, so that I'm guessing people can contact you through that. Correct. Yeah. It's just, it's a tough one. It's ZacharySteel.com. <laughs> and um, I, I have a, a blog there that I throw stuff on everyone. I think it's got about 10 years worth of stuff on there at this point, but yeah, updated information on what I'm doing and the books that I have. And there's definitely a contact thing where you can send me an email and, you know, talk to me about writing, talk to me about this book, talk to me about books you love. I don't really care. Um, I just love talking books and writing. Perfect. Well, thank you, Zachary, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Great uh, podcast to do. And um, yeah, that's it, everybody. We'll tune in next time. As always, we like to okay. say with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to know more about the topic, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. On there, you can take our two online courses. Number one is a Grief Dreams workshop by Dr. Joshua Black, which is designed to help you learn all about the topic. 
And number two is crazy in love using romantic relationships as a vehicle for growth, which is designed to make you rethink modern intimate relationships. And that's by Dr. Joshua Black and Jade Carling Black. On the website, you can also book a one-on-one Grief Dreams consulting session with Dr. Black. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. And we have two clubs on Clubhouse that you can follow, Grief Dreams and Grief Cafe. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified of when we release new episodes. You can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group to share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. Once again, to help support the podcast, please subscribe and read the podcast on the platform you listen to it on. This helps our show come up when people search for Grief Dreams podcast. Also, you can become a member of the podcast through Patreon. We have three membership levels, $1.50 a month, $7 a month, and $20 a month. And again, this money helps us run the podcast. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes. We would like to thank all those who continue to support us. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can be comforted by your dreams tonight.